Continuing in A Treatise of the Fear of God, page 21. Objection. But I had also such wickedness as those in my heart at my first awakening, and therefore by your argument neither should that be but from the devil. Answer. So far forth as such wickedness was in thy heart, so far did the devil in thine own heart seek to drive thee to despair, and drown thee there. But thou hast forgot the question. The question is not whether then thou wast troubled with such iniquities, but whether thy fears of damnation at that time were not just and good. Because grounded upon thy present condition, which was for that thou wast out of Christ, in thy sins, and under the curse of the law. And whether now, since the spirit of adoption is come unto thee, and hath thee, and hath done that for thee, as hath been mentioned. I say, whether thou oughtest for anything whatsoever to give way to the same fear, from the same ground of damnation, it is evident that thou oughtest not, because the ground, the cause, is removed. Objection. But since I was sealed to the day of redemption, I have grievously sinned against God, have not I therefore cause to fear as before? May not therefore the spirit of bondage be sent again to put me in fear as at first? Sin was the first cause, and I have sinned now. Answer, no, by no means. For we have not received the spirit, spirit of bondage again to fear, that is, God hath not given it us. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. It is to be refused, though we have grievously sinned against our God. This is manifest from 1 Samuel 12, verse 20. Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness. That is, not with the fear which would have, been, would have made them fly from God, as concluding that they were not now his people. And the reason is because sin cannot dissolve the covenant into which the sons of God by his grace are taken. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. Psalm 89, verses 30 through 33. Now, if sin doth not dissolve the covenant, if sin doth not cast me out of this covenant, which is made personally with the Son of God, and into the hands of which by the grace of God I am put, then I ought not, though I have sinned, to fear with my first fears. Sin, after that spirit of adoption is come, cannot dissolve the relation of father and son, of father and child. And this the church did rightly assert, and that when her heart was under great hardness, and when she had the guilt of erring from his ways, saith she, Doubtless thou art our father. Isaiah 63, verses 16 and 17. Doubtless thou art, though this be our case, and though Israel should not acknowledge us for such. That sin dissolveth not the relation of father and son is further evident. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, or Father, Father. Now mark, wherefore thou art no more a servant, that is, no more under the law of death and damnation, but a son, 
and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. Suppose a child doth grievously transgress against and offend his father. Is the relation between them therefore dissolved? Again, suppose the father should scourge and chasten the son for such offense. Is the relation between them therefore dissolved? Yea, suppose the child should now, through ignorance, cry and say, This man is now no more my father. Is he therefore now no more his father? Doth not everybody see the folly of such arguings? Why, of the same nature, is that doctrine that saith that after we have received the spirit of adoption, that the spirit of bondage is sent to us again to put us in fear of eternal damnation? Know then that thy sin, after thou hast received the spirit of adoption, to cry unto God, Father, Father, is counted the transgression of a child, not of a slave, and that all that happeneth to thee for that transgression is but the chastisement of a father. And what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? It is worth your observation that the Holy Ghost checks those who, under the chastisements for sin, forget to call God their father. Ye have, said Paul, forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Yea, observe yet further that God's chastening of his children for their sin is a sign of grace and love, and not of his wrath and thy damnation. Therefore, now there is no ground for the aforesaid fear. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Hebrews 12. Now, if God would not have those that have received the spirit of the Son, however he chastises them, to forget the relation that by the adoption of sons they stand into God, if he checks them that do forget it when his rod is upon their backs for sin, then it is evident that those fears that thou hast under a color of the coming again of the Spirit, as a spirit of bondage, to put thee in fear of eternal damnation, is nothing else but Satan disguised, the better to play his pranks upon thee. I will yet give you two or three instances more wherein it will be manifest that whatever happeneth to thee, I mean as a chastisement for sin, after the spirit of adoption has come, thou oughtest to hold fast by faith the relation of father and son. The people spoken of by Moses are said to have lightly esteemed the rock of their salvation, which rock is Jesus Christ, and that is a grievous sin indeed. Yet saith he, Is not God thy father that hath bought thee? And then puts them upon considering the days of old, Deuteronomy 32, verse 6. They and the prophet Jeremiah had played the harlot with many lovers, and done evil things as they could, and as another scripture hath it, gone a-whoring from under their God. Yet God calls to them by the prophets, saying, Wilt thou not from this time cry unto me, My father, thou art the guide of my youth? It's Jeremiah 3, verse 4. Remember also that eminent text made mention of in 1 Samuel 12, verse 20. Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, and labor to maintain faith in the soul of thy being a child, it being true that thou hast received the spirit of adoption before, 
and so that thou oughtest not to fall under thy first fears, because the ground is taken away of thy eternal damnation. Now, let not any, from what hath been said, take courage to live loose lives under a supposition that once in Christ and ever in Christ, and the covenant cannot be broken, nor the relation of father and child dissolved. For they that do so, it is evident, have not known what it is to receive the spirit of adoption. It is the spirit of the devil in his own hue that suggesteth this to them, and that prevaileth with him to do so. Shall we do evil that good may come? Shall we sin that grace may abound? Or shall we be base in life because God, by grace, hath secured us from wrath to come? God forbid. These conclusions betoken one void of the fear of God, indeed, and of the spirit of adoption too. For what son is he that, because the father cannot break the relation, nor suffer sin to do it, that is, betwixt the father and him, that will therefore say, I will live altogether after my own lusts, I will labor to be a continual grief to my father. Considerations to prevent such temptations. Yet lest the devil, for some are not ignorant of his devices, should get an advantage against some of the sons to draw them away from the filial fear of their father, let me here, to prevent such temptations, present such with these following considerations. First, Though God cannot and will not dissolve the relation which the spirit of adoption hath made betwixt the Father and the Son for any sins that such do commit, yet he can and often does take away from them the comfort of their adoption, not suffering children while sinning to have the sweet and comfortable sense thereof on their hearts. He can tell how to let snares be round about them and sudden fear trouble them. He can tell how to send darkness that they may not see and to let abundance of waters cover them. Job 22, verses 10 and 11. Second, God can tell how to hide his face from them and so to afflict them with that dispensation that it shall not be in the power of all the world to comfort them. When he hideth his face, who then can behold him? Job 23, verses 8 and 9, and 34, verse 29. Third, God can tell how to make thee again to possess the sins that he long since hath pardoned, and that in such wise that things shall be bitter to thy soul. Thou writest bitter things against me, says Job, and makest me to possess the iniquities of my youth. By this also he once made David groan and pray against it as an unsupportable affliction. Job 13, verse 26, Psalm 25, verse 7. Fourth, God can lay thee in the dungeon, in chains, and roll a stone upon thee. He can make thy feet fast in the stocks, and make thee a gazing stock to men and angels. Lamentations 3, verse 7, 53 and 55. Job 13, verse 27, Nahum 3, chapter 3, verse 6. Fifth, God can tell how to cause to cease the sweet operations and blessed influences of his grace in thy soul, and to make those gospel showers that formerly thou hast enjoyed to become, now to thee nothing but powder and dust. Psalm 51, 
Deuteronomy 28, verse 24. Sixth, God can tell how to fight against thee with the sword of his mouth, and to make thee a butt for his arrows. And this is a dispensation most dreadful. Revelation 2, 16, Job 6, 4, Psalm 38, verses 2 through 5. Seventh, God can tell how so to bow thee down with guilt and distress that thou shalt in no wise be able to lift up thy head. Psalm 40, verse 12. Eighth, God can tell how to break thy bones and to make thee by reason of that to live in continual anguish of spirit. Yea, he can send a fire into thy bones that shall burn, and none shall quench it. Psalm 51, verse 8, Lamentations 3, verse 4, and 1, verse 13. Psalm 102, verse 3, and Job 30, verse 30. Ninth, God can tell how to lay thee aside and make no use of thee as to, work, as to any work for him in thy generation. He can throw thee aside as a broken vessel. Psalm 31, verse 12, Ezekiel 44, verses 10 through 13. Tenth, God can tell how to kill thee and to take thee away from the earth for thy sins. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 29 through 32. Eleventh, God can tell how to plague thee in thy death with great plagues and of long continuance. Psalm 78, verse 45, Deuteronomy 28. Twelfth, what shall I say? God can tell how to let Satan loose upon thee. When thou liest a dying, he can license him then to assault thee with great temptations. He can tell how to make thee possess the guilt of all thy unkindness towards him, and that when thou, as I said, art going out of the world, he can cause that thy life shall be in continual doubt before thee, and not suffer thee to take any comfort day nor night. Yea, he can drive thee even to a madness with his chastisements for thy folly. And yet all shall be done by him to thee as a father chastiseth his son. Deuteronomy 28, verses 65-67. Thirteenth. Further, God can tell how to tumble thee from off thy deathbed in a cloud. He can let thee die in the dark when thou art dying Thou shalt not know whether thou art going, to wit, whether to heaven or to hell. Yea, he can tell how to let thee seem to come short of life, both in thine own eyes and also in the eyes of them that behold thee. Let us therefore fear, says the apostle, though not with a slavish or slavish, yet with filial fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Hebrews 4 verse 1. Now all this and much more can God do to him as a father by his rod and fatherly rebukes. Ah, who know but those that are under them? What terrors, fears, distresses, and amazements God can bring his people into. He can put them into a furnace, a fire, and no tongue can tell what. So unsearchable and fearful are his fatherly chastisements and yet never give them the spirit of bondage again to fear. Therefore, if thou art a son, take heed of sin, lest all these things overtake thee and come upon thee. Objection. But I have sinned and am under this high and mighty hand of God. Answer. Then thou knowest what I say is true. 
But yet take heed of hearkening unto such temptations as would make thee believe thou art out of Christ, under the law and in a state of damnation. Take heed also that thou dost not conclude that the author of these fears is the Spirit of God come to thee again as a spirit of bondage, to put thee into such fears, lest awares to thyself thou dost defy the devil, dishonor your father, overthrow good doctrine, and bring, thy, bring thyself into a double temptation. Objection. But if God deals thus with a man, how can he otherwise think but that he is a reprobate, a graceless, Christless, and faithless one? Answer. Nay, but why dost thou tempt the Lord thy God? Why dost thou sin and provoke the eyes of his glory? Why doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Lamentations 3.39 He doth not willingly afflict nor grieve the children of men. But if thou sinnest, though God should save thy soul, as he will, if thou art an adopted son of God, yet he will make thee know that sin is sin, and his rod that he will chastise thee with, if need be, shall be made of scorpions. Read the whole book of the Lamentations. Read Job's and David's complaints. Yea, read what happened to his son, his well-beloved, and that when he did but stand in the room of sinners, being in himself altogether innocent, and then consider, O thou sinning child of God, if it is any injustice in God, yea, if it be not necessary, that thou shouldest be chastised for thy sin. But then, I say, when the hand of God is upon thee, how grievous soever it be, take heed, and beware that thou give not way to thy first fears, lest, as I said before, thou addest to thine affliction. And to help thee here, let me give you a few instances of the carriages of some of the saints under some of the most heavy afflictions that they have met with for sin. Carriages of some of the saints under the heavy afflictions for sin. First, Job was in great affliction, and that as he confessed for sin, insomuch that he said God had set him for his mark to shoot at, and that he ran upon him like a giant, that he took him by the neck and shook him to pieces, and counted him for his enemy, that he hid his face from him, and that he could not tell where to find him. Yet he counted not all this as a sign of a damnable state, but as a trial and a chastisement, and said, when he was in the hottest of the battle, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And again, when he was pressed upon by the tempter to think that God would kill him, he answers with greatest confidence, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job 7, verse 20, 13, verse 15, 14, verse 12, 16, 19, verse 11, and 23, verses 8 through 10. Second, David complained that God had broken his bones, that he had set his face against his sins, and had taken him from the joy of his salvation. Yet even at this time he saith, O God, thou God of my salvation, Psalm 51, verse 8, 9, 12, and 14. Third, Haman complained that his soul was full of trouble, and that God had laid him in the lowest pit, that he had put his acquaintance far from him, and was casting off his soul, and had hid his face from him, that he was afflicted from his youth up, and ready to die with trouble, he saith, moreover, 
that the fierce wrath of God went over him, that his terrors had cut him off, yea, that by reason of them he was distracted. And yet even before he maketh any of these complaints, he takes fast hold of God as his, saying, O Lord God of my salvation, Psalm 88. Fourth, the church in the Lamentations complains that the Lord had afflicted her for her transgressions, and that in the day of his fierce anger, also that he had trodden underfoot her mighty men, and that he had called the, he the heathen against her. She says that he had covered her with a cloud in his anger, that he was an enemy, and that he had hung a chain upon her. She adds, moreover, that he had shut out her prayer, broken her teeth with gravel stones, and covered her with ashes, and in conclusion, that he had utterly rejected her. But what doth she do under all this trial? Does she give up her faith and hope and return to that fear that begot the first bondage? No. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Yea, she adds, O Lord, thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul, thou hast redeemed my life. Lamentations 1, verse 5, 2, verses 1, 2, and 5, 3, verses 7, 8, and 16, 5, verse 22, 3, verses 24, 31, and 58. These things show that God's people, even after they have received the spirit of adoption, have fell foully into sin and have been bitterly chastised for it, and also that when the rod was most smart upon them, they made great conscience of giving way to their first fears, wherewith they were made afraid by the Spirit, as it wrought such a spirit of bondage. For indeed there is no such thing as the coming of the spirit of bondage to put us in fear the second time, as such, that is, after he has come, as the spirit of adoption to the soul. I conclude, then, that the fear that is wrought by the spirit of bondage is good and godly, because the ground for it is sound. And I also conclude that he comes to the soul as a spirit of bondage, but once, and that once before he comes as a spirit of adoption. And if therefore the same fear doth again take hold of thy heart, that is, if after thou hast received the spirit of adoption, thou fearest again the damnation of thy soul, that thou art out of Christ and under the law. That fear is bad and of the devil, and ought by no means to be admitted by thee. How the devil worketh these fears? Number one, question. But since it is as you say, how does the devil, after the spirit of adoption has come, work the child of God into those fears of being out of Christ, not forgiven, and so an heir of damnation again? Answer, number one, by living the lie and by prevailing with us to give it to, to the work of grace wrought in our hearts and to the testimony of the Holy Spirit of adoption. Or, number two, by abusing of our ignorance of the everlasting love of God to his in Christ and the duration of the covenant of grace. Or, number three, by abusing some scripture that seems to look that way, but doth not, or four, by abusing our senses and reason, or five, by strengthening of our unbelief, or six, by overshadowing of our judgment with horrid darkness, or seven, by giving 
of us counterfeit representations of God, or eight, by stirring up and setting in a rage our inward corruptions, or nine, by pouring into our hearts abundance of horrid blasphemies, or ten, by putting of wrong constructions on the rod and chastening the hand and the chastening hand of God, or eleven, by charging upon us that our ill behaviors under the rod and chastising hand of God is a sign that we indeed have no grace, but are downright graceless reprobates. By these things and others like these, Satan, I say, Satan bringeth the child of God, not only to the borders, but even into the bowels of the fears of damnation, after it hath received a blessed testimony of eternal life, and that by the Holy Spirit of adoption. The people of God should fear his rod. Question. But would you not have the people of God stand in fear of his rod and be afraid of his judgments? Answer. Yes. And the more they are rightly afraid of them, the less and seldomer will they come under them. For it is want of fear that brings us into sin, and it is sin that brings us into these afflictions. But I would not have them fear with the fear of slaves, for that will add no strength against sin. But I would have them fear with the reverential fear of sons, and that is the way to depart from evil. Question. How is that? Answer. Why, having before received the spirit of adoption, still to believe that he is our father, and so to fear with the fear of children, not as slaves fear a tyrant. I would therefore have them to look upon his rod, rebukes, chidings, and chastisements, and also upon the wrath wherewith he doth inflict to be but the dispensations of their father. This believed, maintains, or at least helps to maintain in the heart, a sun-like bowing under the rod. It also maintains in the soul a sun-like confession of sin, and a justifying of God under all the rebukes that he grieveth us with. It also engages us to come to him, to claim and lay hold of former mercies, to expect more, and to hope a good end shall be made of all God's present dispensations towards us. Micah 7, verse 9, Lamentations 1, verse 18, Psalm 77, verses 10 through 12, Lamentations 3, verses 31 through 34. Now God would have us thus fear his rod, because he is resolved to chastise us therewith, if so be we sin against him, as I have already showed. For although God's bowels turn within him, even while he is threatening his people. Yet if we sin, he will lay on the rod so hard as to make us cry. Woe unto us that we have sinned, Lamentations 5, verse 16. And therefore, as I said, we should be afraid of his judgments, yet only as a four is provided as of the rod, wrath, and judgment of a father. Five considerations to move to childlike fear. Question. But have you yet any other considerations to move us to fear God with a childlike fear? Answer. I will in this place give you five. Number one. Consider that God thinks to meet to have it so, and he is wiser in heart than you are. He knows best how to secure his people from sin, and to that end hath given them law and commandments to read, that they may learn to fear him, as a father, Job 37, verse 24, 
Ecclesiastes 3, verse 14, Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 and 19. Number two, consider, he is mighty in power, if he touch but with a fatherly touch. Man nor angel cannot bear it. Yea, Christ makes use of that argument. He hath power to cast into hell. Fear him. Luke 12, verses 4 and 5. Number three, consider that he is everywhere. You cannot be out of his sight or presence, nor out of the reach of his hand. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? Jeremiah 5, verse 22 and 23, verse 24. Number four, consider that he is holy and cannot look with liking upon the sins of his own people. Therefore, says Peter, be as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who with respect to persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Number five, consider that he is good and has been good to thee, good that he had singled thee out from others and saved thee from their death and hell, though you perhaps were worse in your life than those that he left when he laid hold on you. Oh, this should engage your heart to fear the Lord all the days of your life. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Hosea 3, verse 5. And now for the present, I have done with that fear, I mean as to its first workings, to wit, to put me in fear of damnation, and shall come, in the next place, to treat of the grace of fear more immediately intended in the text. I shall now speak to this fear, which I call a lasting godly fear, first by way of ex explication by which I shall show. First, how by the scripture it is described. Second, I shall show you what this fear flows from. And then third, I shall also show you what doth flow from it. How this fear is described by the scripture. First, for the first of these, to wit, how by the scripture this fear is described, and that first, more generally. Second, more particularly. First, more generally. Number one, it is called the grace, that is, a sweet, blessed work of the Spirit of grace, as he is given to the elect by God. Hence the Apostle says, Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. Hebrews 12, verse 28. For as that fear that brings bondage is wrought in the soul by the Spirit as a spirit of bondage, so this fear, which is a fear that we have while we are in the liberty of sons, is wrought by him, as he manifesteth to us our liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That is, where he is as a spirit of adoption, setting the soul free from that bondage under which it was held by the same Spirit, while he wrought as a spirit of bondage. Hence, as he is called a spirit working bondage to fear, so he, as the Spirit of the Son and of adoption, is called the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11, verse 2. Because it is that spirit of grace that is the author 
anima animator and maintainer of our filial fear, or of that fear that is sun-like, and that subjecteth the elect unto God his word and ways, unto him his word and ways, as a father. Number two. This fear is called also the fear of God, not as that which is ungodly is, nor yet as that may be which is wrought by the spirit, as a spirit of bondage, but by way of eminency, to wit, as a dispensation of the grace of the gospel, and as a fruit of eternal love. I will put my fear in their hearts, that they shall not depart from me. Jeremiah 32, verses 38 through 41. Number three, this fear of God is called God's treasure, for it is one of his choice jewels. It is one of the rarities of heaven. The fear of the Lord is his treasure, Isaiah 33, verse 6. And it may well go under such a title, for as treasure, so the fear of the Lord is not found in every corner. It is said, all men have not faith, because also, or that also, is more precious than gold. The same is said about this fear. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is, the greatest part of men are utterly destitute of this godly jewel, this treasure, the fear of the Lord. Poor vagrants, when they come straggling to a Lord's house, may perhaps obtain some scraps and fragments. They may also obtain old shoes and some sorry cast-off rags, but they get not any of his jewels. They may not touch his choicest treasure, that is, kept for the children, and those that shall be his heirs. We may say the same also of this blessed grace of fear, which is called here God's treasure. It is only bestowed upon the elect, the heirs and children of the promise. All others are destitute of it, and so continue to death and judgment. Number four. This grace of fear is that which maketh men excel and go beyond all men in the account of God. It is that which beautifies a man and prefers him above all others. Hast thou, says God to Satan, considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Job 1 verse 8 and 2 verse 3. Mind it. There is none like him. None like him in the earth. I suppose he means either that Job was the only was the only most perfect and upright man in those parts, or else he was the man that abounded in the fear of the Lord. None like him to fear the Lord. He only excelled with he only excelled others with respect to his reverencing of God, bowing before him and sincerely complying with his will, and therefore is counted the excellent man. Is it not the knowledge of the will of God, but our sincere complying therewith, that we proveth we fear the Lord? And it is our so doing that putteth upon us the note of excelling. Hereby appears our perfection, herein is manifest our uprightness. A perfect and an upright man is one that feareth God, and that because he escheweth or hates evil. Therefore, this grace of fear is that without which no part or piece of service which we do to God can be accepted of him. It is, as I may call it, the salt of the covenant, which seasoneth the heart, and therefore must not be lacking there. It is also that which salteth or seasoneth 
all our doings, and therefore must not be lacking in any of them. Leviticus 2, verse 13. Number 5. I take this grace of fear to be that which softeneth and mollifieth the heart, and that makes it stand in awe both of the mercies and judgments of God. This is that that retaineth in the heart that due dread and reverence of the heavenly majesty. That is, meat should be both in and kept in the heart of poor sinners. Wherefore, when David describeth this fear and the exercise of it, he calls it in awe of God. Stand in awe, saith he, and sin not. And again, my heart standeth in awe of thy word. And again, let all the earth fear the Lord. What is that? Or how is that? Why? Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Psalm 4, verse 4, 119, verses 61. And 30, Psalm 33, verse 8. This is that, therefore, that is, as I said before, so excellent a thing in the eyes of God, to wit, a grace of the Spirit, the fear of God, his treasure, the salt of the covenant, that which makes men excel all others. For it is that which maketh the sinner to stand in awe of God, which posture is the most comely thing in us throughout all ages. But, second, and more particularly, number one, this grace is called the beginning of knowledge, because by the first gracious discovery of God to the soul, this grace is begot, and again, because the first time that the soul doth apprehend God in Christ to be good unto it, unto it, this grace is animated, by which the soul is put into a holy awe of God, <coughs> Excuse me, which causeth it with reverence and due attention to hearken to him and tremble before him, Proverbs 1 verse 7. It is also by virtue of this fear that the soul doeth inquire yet more after the blessed knowledge of God. This is the more evident because where the fear of God is wanting, or where the discovery of God is not attended with it, the heart still abides rebellious, obstinate, and unwilling to know more. That it might comply therewith, nay, for want of it. Such sinners say, rather, as for God, let him depart from us, and for the Almighty, we desire not the knowledge of his ways. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan hard drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket.
The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.